Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We want to say how much we appreciate all of our guests that are with us today. Thank you so very, very much for coming. We truly count an honor that you've chosen to worship the Lord with us here at the Truth Church. I know there are a lot of places you could be this morning, but you chose to be here. And for that, we are extremely grateful. Appreciate those who are listening online today as well. And we look forward to the day when you're going to join us here in the house of the Lord. Amen. I, uh, I've used a number of analogies for online church. I read another one the other day. They said it's kind of like trying to warm yourself beside a picture of a fireplace. Just don't quite feel the heat that way. Do you? And uh, that may be the reason why some people prefer online. They don't want to feel the heat. Well, praise God. Amen. But we do appreciate. We really do. I, I don't take it lightly because there are other things you could be doing, but you're listening online and we appreciate it. We just really, really want to see your smiling face in the house of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll read verses 6 through 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. The Apostle Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, let me just interject something right here. Paul is saying this specifically because there were groups of people within the Corinthian church who were trying to take pride in uh, who baptized them, uh, whose convert they were. And they were using that like some great badge of honor. You know, um, I was baptized by... Paul, I was baptized by Apollos. I came in under Cephas. They, they were arguing about it. So Paul's saying, look, look. It's not about who did the planting or who did the water. It's about who gave the increase. Because you're not in the church because of me. I did my part, but I can't save you. Only God can save you. It's God that gives the increase. Now, with that in mind, I want to I say this. God can only give the increase if somebody will plant and water. Only one time has God ever just called plants forth from the earth. And that was in the beginning. But from that time until now, 
We have to plant. And we have to water. Before God will give an increase. So don't misunderstand what the apostle is saying. When he says, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. Don't think that he's trying to say it's not important to plant and water. Because we are required to give God something with which He can work. Going on verse 8, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So there you see God's going to reward the laborers. Verse 9, for we are laborers together. Everyone say laborers together. We are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. We are laborers together. Together. That's our topic. It has been now for a few weeks. We've been going through this. Uh, for those who uh, are guests that are here, if I could just offer a, a quick word of explanation. This series of studies that we're doing on Sunday morning is really geared toward new converts, or at least that was the original intent. But I really felt led of the Lord to, to do this not in a new convert setting, but to do it for every convert, and for those who have not yet been converted, because I believe everybody can benefit from the principles that the Lord has laid on my heart, and I say again, I appreciate, I've, I've heard from several folks who have been in the church a number of years who have said that they are also learning from these series of lessons. And so today we continue on in this portion of the series, this lesson entitled Laborers Together. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voice. Let's ask God to speak to us. And I need the touch of God today. Could we all just talk to the Lord together right now? Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Would you just praise him one more time, everybody? Let's praise him before you're seated. Come on, let's let's offer God some praise at this house. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, let me do just a brief review today. For the sake of those 
who have not been a part of this series of lessons. And I would say to you, you can go to our website and download uh, every one of these messages and uh, kind of catch up, see where we are, because I'm going to be saying things that I don't have time to go back and reteach. Uh, but I, I promise you, I assure you today that everything I say, I've backed up in the Scripture. But we started this particular lesson um, by addressing the apathy that is in our world today. And we do indeed live in an age when people just don't want to get involved. They just don't. And I see it, I see it on a regular basis. I would say at least, at least once a week, I will see some story, some reference somewhere where people have taken the time to pull out their cell phones and record someone being attacked. They'll, they'll record someone being mistreated, but they won't step up and do anything about it. They don't mind taking the time to record it. They don't mind taking the time to post it to social media somewhere. They don't care about that. But they're not going to take a chance on getting themselves involved and doing anything to try to help the person. In fact, they have watched, they have videoed folks being murdered. And nobody will do anything about it. And it's a sad, sad age in which we live. Where people simply don't want to get involved. And, and we have got to be careful as the church that that same attitude doesn't bleed over into our lives. We look around at a world that is lost and dying and we think, well, I'm saved. Well, I've got it made. Well, I'm living for God. I'm doing okay. And we don't care enough to get involved in the lives of the lost. May God help us to shake ourselves beyond this apathy, beyond this lethargy, and get involved in the lives of others so that they too might experience the great power of Acts 2.38. This world needs to know that there's only one way to be saved. And that's through obedience to Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent! And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Nowhere in the Bible are you commanded to accept the Lord as your personal Savior. It doesn't appear in the scripture. You can search it from Genesis to Revelation. There is no such commandment. There are no such instructions. I'm telling you it takes more than just accepting him. It takes more than just believing on him. You've got to repent. You've got to turn away from your sin. You've got to go down in water in the name that is above every name. 
For neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no other name. and You've got to be baptized in that name. You've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Now, I don't have time to teach a whole lesson on that. Go back and, and, and find it on our website. Or if you've got questions, we'll be happy to address those questions after service this morning. We'll spend time taking you through the Scripture, showing you, that Jesus said, unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's not an option. Jesus said it can't happen otherwise. Amen, amen. And so, and so we'll take time to show you all of that in the Scripture if you are interested in learning. But, but my point is this, that as God's children, if we are not careful, we can get so caught up with our day-to-day -day obligations that we fail to realize God is calling us to do something in this hour. In fact, He saved us to do something. He didn't save us just to sit on a pew. He didn't save us just to take us to heaven. I've said this many, many times, but if God's purpose was simply to take us to heaven, he could have saved us and then done it immediately. And then there's no chance of ever backsliding. There's no chance of ever failing. There's no chance of ever making a mistake if God only wanted you to go to heaven. But he saved you and left you here. And he did it for a reason. And that reason is so that you can reach somebody else. We've got to get involved. We've got to be involved in the work of God. I, I, I told a story in the very first uh, part of this lesson uh, about someone who was being attacked and, and how many of the neighbors, it, it was recorded how many of the neighbors just simply pulled the blinds down and didn't want to look and didn't want to get involved. And, 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 and I asked the question, who really is the greater enemy, the attacker or those who simply pull down the blinds. And I think if we're not careful, we're going to have to ask ourselves one day, who is the real enemy of this world? Is it really the devil or is it the church who refuses to lift the blinds and look out and see we can do something about their condition? We can do something about pulling them from the flames of hell. God's given us the power to be witnesses to a lost and dying world. I submit to you today that if we call ourselves a Christian, a Christian, that, that doesn't identify a denomination. It doesn't identify a religious sect. The term Christian means that you are striving to be like Christ. 
And how can we claim to be like Christ and yet be indifferent? Christ was never indifferent. There was never a time when he refused to get involved in those in the lives of those who needed him. In fact, he gave himself for everyone. Not just those who asked. He died for those who will never ask. He died for everyone. He shed his blood even for those who nailed him to the cross. Those who spat in his face. The one who pierced him with a sword. Those who put the crown of thorns deep into his brow. He died for them as well. And if we are going to claim to be Christ-like, we're going to claim to be a Christian, we are going to have to get involved in the lives of others regardless of what it costs us. Now last week we talked, we talked about involvement and we talked about it from the perspective of worship sometimes we think of worship simply as what we do when we walk into the sanctuary and we lift our hands that's worship no that's praise true worship requires devotion and devotion requires action it requires service praise ought to be born from our worship but it's possible to praise and never worship. In fact, the command to praise is to everything that hath breath. I submit to you today, if they've got alcohol on their breath, they're still commanded to praise. I know that blows some minds, but if they've got, if they've got nicotine on their breath, they're commanded to praise. But I'm going to tell you, you can praise him with alcohol on your breath. You can praise him with nicotine on your breath. But you can't worship him that way. Worship requires service. It requires involvement. It requires commitment. Real worship. To really worship God. You know, I, I was thinking about this this morning. This, I, I was listening to some music. I like to do that on Sunday mornings. You know, I like to just get started. Just good old gospel music playing and, 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 and just getting my mind uh, on the things of God as, as the morning breaks. And, and I was listening to some folks sing he is Lord. And I thought again about that term, Lord. It's so easy for us to throw that word around. But what does it really mean to say He is your Lord? Honestly, to call Him Lord means He is in charge of everything in your life.
When the disciples, when the apostles called him Lord, they meant it. They laid down their lives for him. Heard someone say recently, said, you know, what's it going to be like on the day of judgment if, if we're standing there and it just so happens we, while we're waiting for our time, we turn to the person next to us and introduce ourselves. And he says, my name is Paul. You mean like Paul the Apostle? Yes. And we say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. Really? Tell me what you did for him. Well, I showed up for church on Sunday morning. You think Paul's going to be impressed with that? Well, you know, I gave an offering once in a while. But Jesus is my Lord. Is he really your Lord? I, I, think, I think you would be more honest to just say Jesus is my friend. Because you know, you go visit a friend once in a while. You'll do something nice for a friend once in a while. But can you really say he is your Lord? When it costs you absolutely nothing to serve Him. Lord, don't, don't awaken me in the night. I've got to catch my sleep. Don't, don't ask me to, to, to go talk to that person on the job. They might laugh at me. You know? I, I can't do that. And we think about the Apostle Paul saying, you know, I, I've suffered shipwreck a night and a day I spent in the deep. Been in perils of my own countrymen. I've fought the wild beasts at Ephesus. I've been stoned and left for dead. Well, well, Paul, I sang some praise songs. It just doesn't quite match up, does it? And yet we claim that he's as much our Lord as he was Paul. I'm talking about real worship. Worship means we're going to be involved. We're not just going to show up once in a while. We're going to be involved. We're going to do something for the kingdom of God. That's what real worship is. I'm, I'm, I'm not off my subject this morning. I'm talking about being laborers in God's kingdom. Learning that God doesn't save us just to take us to heaven. But he saves us with a purpose. He puts us into his kingdom and gives us a job. Listen to me. There is a calling on your life. In fact, to the church at Rome, he said this, you are called to be saints. You're called. God called you. Now, what are you going to do with that calling? A 
hopefully you're going to spend your time working for him. Now, now listen, getting involved should not be because this preacher's made you feel guilty. You shouldn't walk out of here under this cloud of guilt saying, well, I guess I better do something. That, that's, not, that's not what I'm trying to convey. You ought to walk out of here saying, I love him so much, I want to find some way to truly serve him. You go to the restaurant, and you're sitting there, and your glass is empty. And you look over, and you see the waiter or the waitress sitting in a booth playing on their phone. And you're thirsty. Do you feel like that they are serving you? But what do we do to God? There is this work to be accomplished today, and we're sitting around doing the things we enjoy. I'm hitting hard this morning, I know. But we're supposed to be serving Him. Now I'm going to tell you, if I've got my food and my glass is full, I don't care if the waitress is playing on her phone. But when I need something done, if that waitress is serving me, yeah, you pause that game and get over here. <laughs> right? I'm not telling you it's always wrong to do things you enjoy doing. But I am saying when God needs you, it's time to lay aside what you want and get busy doing what He wants you to do. Well, hallelujah. Not out of guilt, but because we love Him. Well, hallelujah. You know, I got up this morning and I was doing things. And a little while my wife came and said, honey, your breakfast is ready. I didn't ask her to cook. But she did it. And you know why she did it? Because she loves me. I didn't have to say, woman. Get up and get in that kitchen. In fact, if I would have, I might have been the one getting up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't even know because I know she loves me. And I know it because there are times that with her servant's heart, she just serves. Not because I demand it. Not because she's on a guilt trip. But because she loves me. And I'm telling you, it, th this is not about putting you on a guilt trip to try to motivate you to do something. What I want to see is for you to fall so deeply in love with Jesus Christ that nobody's got to beg you.
you're looking for something you can do for him. You don't just come to church and say, okay, singers, sing to me. Okay, preacher, preach to me. But you come saying, what can I do? How can I participate? How can I get involved? What can I offer the Lord today? This is why I, I know, I understand, and I, I said it earlier, you know, we, we, we provide a live stream, people are listening online, and, and I understand the need for that um, when there are situations. But I'm going to tell you, you can never really fulfill what God called you to do if all you do is listen online. You just can't. It's not possible. You've got to be involved somehow. You've got to be involved in the kingdom of God, in the work of God. There's something you've got to do. And we're going to talk about one of the things that, that you need to do. Let's, let's move into this now. All of that was review, so I'm just now really getting to where I want to be this morning. But let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. One of the things that I said last week as I closed out, I said, what I, I, I want to get into our example. Our example is not some other church. Paul said, if you compare yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. We, we don't look at that church down the road. We don't look at the mega church. We don't look at the whatever. That, that's not our model. God gave us a model. And it's in the scriptures. It's in the word of God. That's the model that we have. So let's go back and look at the model. Let's go back and look at the original. I've said this before, but you know, if you've ever done any kind of construction work and you've, you've had to cut a certain number of two-by-fours and you know, if you ever take one of them and use that one, say, well, this is going to be my pattern. So I'm going to cut 10 of these. Well, if, if, if you take number one and it's got to be six feet long and you cut it at six feet. And so this now becomes my pattern. So I have to measure them all. I just lay this one on top of the next one. And I'm going to cut this one like I did the first one. Yeah, okay, well, that, that may be fine. But, but if then you take the second one and you measure it against the third one, and you take the third one and it becomes your pattern for the fourth. And the fourth one becomes the pattern. You, you know what happens by the time you get done? You compare that number 10 board with number 1 board. They're not even close. It's, it's way off. In fact, from the time you start, if you use number 1, and cut, you're going you're gonna to be off a little bit in the second one. And even if you use number one all the way through, you're going to be off just a little bit. But you're going to be a whole lot closer if you just use that one. Now the best thing is to take the exact measurement on each one. You'll come a whole lot closer to getting it right every time. Well, I'm telling you, God gave us a pattern. And it's the obligation of every church to go back to the original. I'm not pattering after T.D. Jakes. 
what's the guy's name, Furtick? Or, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to pastor after. Even somebody in the apostolic ranks. I'm not, that's not the goal. My goal is to get this book down and look at it and see what it says and find out what the early church did and do things the way they did them, pattern myself after them, let them be the example. Then I'm going to be a whole lot closer to what God really wants me to be. So let's go back and look at the early church. Acts chapter 2 verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from the house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Now this is interesting. And they continuing daily. Isn't that interesting? Now they continued daily with one accord. Now they were in the temple but they weren't every day at the temple. They were daily with one accord, either in the temple or breaking bread from house to house. And in doing that, they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I'm going to tell you that one of the things that was key to the revival experienced by the early church was their fellowship with one another. You see, it appears to me that the fellowship of the early church was not an occasional thing. It wasn't just once a week. It wasn't just three times a week. But every day. They were either in the temple or they're fellowshipping with somebody. But they were together. Oh, it's getting really quiet in here. I cannot stress enough how much we need each other. I'm telling you, I can't make it without you. God designed it that way. God doesn't want us trying to make it on our own. We need each other. The worst thing that can happen to somebody is for them to become totally isolated from everybody else. And that's exactly what the devil wants to happen. I'm telling you, the moment you get discouraged, the first thought in your mind is, I'm not going to church. You know why that thought's there? Because the devil wants to separate you from everybody else. Because he understands. He understands the value of the input of your brothers and sisters. Now that's, that's verse 46, verse 42. I hope I labeled it right. Does that say verse 42? Okay, all right. What, what, is, what does verse 42 say? And they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' in doctrine, the apostles doctrine and fellowship. And fellowship. And in breaking of and bread. Breaking of bread. And in prayer. And prayers. 
sounds like Pentecostal, folks. Everything that's listed, eating is a part of it. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. Now that's important. I don't have time to deal with that. But it's clear what the apostles taught, and we've, we've talked about that. They continued in that. And they continued in fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. Now this word fellowship is a very interesting word. It, it's the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia is, is you know, we, we talk about fellowship. We're going to have some fellowship. Um, I don't think we really understand what biblical fellowship really was. Because koinonia, the word that's used here, they continued steadfastly in koinonia. That word means a partnership. It means communion. It means commitment. It means participation. You're not having fellowship to just shake somebody's hand and hug their neck. That's not fellowship. Going by and saying, hello, brother, I'm praying for you. That's not fellowship. Fellowship means you're going to have some interaction. It means you are literally partnering with them. That's, that's, a, that's a commitment. When you establish a partnership with somebody, you are making a commitment to them. Because see, if your partner fails, that means you fail. So you have an obligation to see to it your partner succeeds. Listen, it's so easy, it's so easy to come into church and see somebody struggling and just sit back and think, well, I wonder what their problem is. I knew they wouldn't make it. I can't believe they just sit there and won't even worship. You know, that's your partner there. And you know, if they fail, it has an impact on you. So you've got an obligation not to go stick your nose in their business and say, hey, what's wrong with you? But you've got an obligation to do something about it. To go and pray with them. You don't have to know the details. In fact, most times you're better off not knowing the details. Because the fact of the matter is, most of the time when somebody's discouraged, the details they're going to give you are not 100% accurate. Not that they're necessarily lying. But they're telling you their perspective. And their perspective may not always include all of the facts because they may not know all of the facts. They may think somebody's got it out for them. 
And so they may unload on you. Boy, so-and-so is just, I mean, they're tearing me down and they're, they don't like me and they're treating me bad. And, and before you know it, you're thinking bad towards that person. And the case may be that that person doesn't even have a clue. Somebody said, you know, some of us need to get a revelation that people aren't thinking about us nearly as much as we think they are. They're, 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 you know, well, they think bad of me. No, they're not thinking about you at all. I don't know if that's very encouraging to know that, but it's. I mean, I'd rather them not think about me than to think bad about me. We all like to know people are thinking good of us. You know, we, we'd, we'd like to think that we're at least somewhere on their radar. And we should be. If we are truly brothers and sisters, we ought to have every other brother and sister on our radar. We ought to recognize if things are not going well with them. And we ought to make it a point to get involved. Not Again, not to try to find out what's going on. That's not our business unless we're the ones that offended them we've talked about that in weeks gone by but but it is our business to do what we can to encourage them i watched this church just 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 a a a few services ago when the holy ghost started moving and i saw some of you start making your way out of the pew to go and pray with a brother and pray with a sister i'm telling you church that's healthy that's what needs to happen. Instead of sitting back in your pew saying, why didn't the preacher go pray for them? Well, I want to ask you, why don't you go pray with them? Why don't you go put your arm around them and just let them know? Why don't you shed a few tears? Let them understand, I do care about you. I am concerned. I want you to make it. You've got an impact on my life. You count. You matter. Listen, everybody that's a part of the church has an impact on the church. And each one that falters and each one that fails and each one that goes by the wayside, it has an impact on us. And so you know what we need to do? Instead of waiting around for the preacher to catch on to every situation that's going on, and instead of us trying to stick our nose in it and try to What we need to do is we need to get under a burden. In fact, we need to be praying regularly. God, let me feel it when my brother or sister is hurting. Let me be sensitive enough that I can slip out of my pew and just go pray with them. I don't have to know what's going on. I just want them to know I care. Fellowship, koinonia, a partnership, a commitment to someone, involvement with them. We need that. We need one another. Go to Ephesians, uh, I think this is in your notes, Ephesians chapter 4, it should be in the notes there, Ephesians chapter 4, and verse number 16, from whom the whole body 
fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Oh, okay. now wait, wait, wait. This verse has been used several times in several messages around here, but man, I felt it so strong. In fact, it was not even in my notes until this morning. Um, I got here and I was going back over my notes again, and I said, "Man, I need to do, that verse needs to be in here right now." The whole body, fitly framed together. See, so many times we talk about the body of Christ. In our minds, we're thinking only of the church globally, the body of Christ. But when you really read Paul's letters, what you're going to find is when he makes reference to the body, the overwhelming majority of those references are not to the church worldwide. They are to the individual congregation. And so in that sense, in that regard, Every local church is a body. And that's what he's talking about here in Ephesians 4. That God fitly frames this body together. God looks around and he pulls people into a specific congregation. Because he's building a unique body right here. Everybody needs two lungs, needs one heart, right? Two arms, two legs. Every, every body has certain things that it must have to function um, optimally, right? I mean, it can function without some of those things, not without a heart, but you can get by without arms and legs, but, but you, you don't have optimum function. But what God is doing with every church congregation, every true church congregation, you understand what I'm saying, that God is building a body right there. And so God finds the parts that he needs to make up that body. And, and he fitly frames them together. And then I want you to see this. They are compacted by what? Now say it in the mic. By that which every by joint supplies. By that which every joint supplies. Every. Every. That's not just me. You have been put in the body to supply something that's going to help compact this body together. You supply something to this body. That's going to help it to be fitly framed. Read on. According. According to the effectual to working. To the effectual working. In the measure, in the of, measure every of every part. Every part. Don't.
don't let the devil convince you you are non-essential. Don't let the devil convince you you are not necessary. You are important. God has a specific job for you to do within the body. Now, I'm just, I'm just going to throw this in there. This is, this is one reason why it's not wise to just jump from church to church. That, that, that's, not, that's not wise. Because you try to join yourself, if, if, you're, if you're the arm, and you try to join yourself to a church that's already got two arms, what you're doing is creating a fruit. But God is the wise master builder. He is the creator. There are times that God does transplants. There are times that God knows. There is something this body needs and God will remove it from another body to transplant it. But God's got to do that. He's got to be the one involved in that. Because he knows what it is you provide. And he knows whether the body you're trying to join yourself to needs what you're providing. Can you imagine what kind of a monstrosity it would be? If somebody had six arms and no legs, and I'm convinced there's some churches that way, and that's why they never really get anything accomplished. Arms are great. Thank God for two of them. But my arms are going to be limited in what they can do if I don't have legs to get me to where I need to go. And so I'm telling you, it's, it, it really requires that somehow we come to an understanding that no part of the body is non-essential. God saved you and gave you a purpose. He's got something for you to do. And that something involves not only the lost, but it involves the local body. Can I tell you, I can't be complete. There are things that every joint supplies. So if you're not supplying that part, I'm not complete. Do you understand how vital you become to my very existence. Now, yeah, they can, you know, they can, they can remove a kidney and I can get by. In fact, I, I you know, they, if, if, if both kidneys cease functioning, they, 
They can keep me on dialysis for a while until they can get a viable donor for a transplant. But I'm going to tell you, though I'm surviving, I'm not functioning. Are you understanding what I'm telling you? The body needs you. Can we get by without you? Well, if we have to, God will give us some spiritual dialysis or something. But for the optimum functionality of the body of Christ, we need you. We need you. We need your involvement. We need your participation. We need you to be a part of what is going on in this body. There are plenty of ways that you can get involved. There are plenty of things that you can do in the house of God. And I thank God. I thank God that so many of you are so involved. Really, I'm telling you, this church, I... I applaud you, and and uh, I I applaud our leadership team. I just want to say publicly today how much I appreciate our leadership team. We had a tremendous meeting yesterday. It ended up uh, before lunch. We ended up up here in the sanctuary just having a prayer meeting, and and the Spirit of God meeting with us, and and that's that's so so vital, so necessary. I'm telling you, th- this is I, I appreciate. What I see in so many of you, you understand, you comprehend, there's a job to be done, and you want to help do it. What I'm longing for is for more of you. Some that are just kind of on the periphery. You're here, and I'm thankful you're here. But I want to see you more than just here. I want to see you understanding how important you are to this body. Understanding that you can do something somebody else can't. Or maybe they can, but maybe they're so overloaded that they can't really give it their best. But you can come in and lift part of that load and and together really get the job accomplished. Is anybody hearing the burden and passion of this pastor today? I'm telling you, this is vital to us. We need one another. I need you and you need me. We provide for others. We draw from others things which we cannot produce on our own. This aspect of fellowship is so crucial. It is so crucial. And I'm going to tell you, and I've said it before, but to me, this is the sign of a healthy church is when service is over, you don't have everybody running for the doors. But instead, you've got folks lingering around, talking to people. Visiting with one another. Spending time with each other. Going out to eat with each other. 
I'm going to tell you, that's a sign of a healthy church. It really is. When we love one another enough, we don't just show up and say hi from a distance. But we're going to take of our own personal time and spend it with somebody else. It's in those moments, saints of God, that we start supplying what our joint was meant to supply. I'm going to tell you, you as a saint can supply things to other saints that even I cannot supply. That's not to invalidate the importance of the ministry. It's to show you the importance of the laity. Because it's easy. It's easy for the members to get the idea that it's all the preacher's responsibility. And that every service is his responsibility. It's the job of the praise singers to sing. No. No. They're up here just to lead you. But it's your job to follow. It's your job to lift your voice and sing. And I'm going to tell you, in those moments when you're singing and you're really just pouring your heart out to God, I'm going to tell you something's happening to those around you. Something's being supplied to them that you don't even realize. So much more than when you just sit there and look around. When you participate while the preacher's preaching and you're paying attention and you're locked in and you're saying amen and you're getting involved, you're doing something for your brothers and sisters around. There is something that's being supplied from you, something that's being shared by you in those moments. That just sitting and listening just doesn't quite accomplish. My brothers, my sisters, we need each other. You know, used to be the, the, the uh, motto of our armed forces, Uncle Sam wants you. Um, can I tell you, your father, God, wants you for service, for commitment, for action, for participation. Can I tell you, your mother, the church. That's what Paul said in Galatians. He said, he said, Jerusalem, which is from above, is the mother of us all. The church becomes our mother. The church needs you. If we're going to thrive, if we're going to become what God wants us to be in this hour, we need you. 
We need you to step up and understand this is my this is my reasonable service to God. He's done so much for me. He's given so much to me. I, I, I cannot repay him, but I'm sure going to spend my life giving it my very best. I know health issues come up, and I know, I know those things sometimes hinder us. But listen, don't ever, don't ever feel like you can't do anything. If you can lift your voice and pray a prayer for a brother or a sister, you're doing something. If you can lift your hands, it may not go, they may not go very high, but you can lift your hands, you're doing something. Oh, hallelujah. Help us, Jesus. I'm telling you, your brothers and your sisters are needing you. They need your participation. We need you to be involved. We need you to understand. There is a job for you to do. You're a part of this body. out of time and I'm not haven't made it very far let me see if I can at least let me see if I can at least hit one more point here from the early church they continued in fellowship I want to say continued in fellowship that's not all they continued in let's let's go to Acts chapter 2 verses 46 to 47 and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Yeah. Praising God. Praising God. And having favor with all the having people. Having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And we're, we're going we're gonna to use this same. We used it once. We're going to keep using these, these couple of verses here as our pattern for the early church. Because this was the very beginning. You notice this is Acts chapter 2. This is when it started. Right. This is it. This is the very beginning of the church. You don't get more original than Acts chapter 2. And what the Bible says about them, not only were they breaking bread from house to house, eating their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, but they were praising God. This is something else that was going on daily. I want you to think about something. The Bible says in Psalm 150 that we are to praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Now that, that sets a standard. The kind of praise that we ought to give God ought to be commensurate with just how great He is. Now, how great is God in your mind? Is He so great that once a week, saying praise the Lord, is, is, that, is that how great God is? Can I tell you that if we spent every waking moment 
of every day of our life, it would never be enough right. to match the greatness of this God that we serve. We can't praise Him enough. The early church didn't just do it once a week, but every day, every day, every day, they were praising Him. Every day, they were lifting Him up. Every day, they were honoring Him. Every day, they were glorifying Him. Yes, hallelujah. Though I should live a thousand years below and praise the Lord from dawn till set of sun. Didn't we sing that this morning? Still that would not be time enough to show my thanks to Him. For all that he has done. Right? It's more than just the words of a song. If I lived a thousand years, got up in the morning and praised him until I went to bed at night, it would not be enough. It would not be enough. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Saints of God, I'm telling you, there's something about it. We need, we need to give him praise. The highest praise we can possibly give. Not everybody can do the same thing. Not everybody's got the physical capabilities that everybody else has got. And I talked about this the other night. My 77-year-old grandmother, God filled her with the Holy Ghost. Here, she'd been a sinner all of her life. God raised her, literally raised her off of her deathbed because she made a promise to him. The doctor said she was in a coma and would not live through the night. My grandma, in her mind, she couldn't speak out loud, but in her mind, she prayed a simple prayer and said, God, if you'll raise me up off of this deathbed, I'm going to my grandson's church. And I'm going to get baptized in Jesus' name. And I'm going to receive the Holy Ghost. And God reached down and raised her up. And she kept her promise. Can I tell you, Grandma's health was never good. God raised her up. And He let her live for a few months. It was never good. She was never in good health during those months. We would wheel her into church in a wheelchair. But I'm going to tell you, when the Spirit of God started moving, Grandma couldn't do a whole lot. Grandma couldn't run the aisles. She couldn't dance. She couldn't jump. But I'll tell you what she did. She'd kick those little feet uh, plates out of the way in that wheelchair and she'd stomp her feet with all the strength she had which wasn't much but she was going to do something to let God know I feel you moving right now God I feel your presence and I'm thankful that you've given me the chance Come on, I know we don't all have the youth, the, the energy of youth, but we've all, we've all got two good hands, I think. We all have got a voice. We may not be able to do what somebody else can, but he deserves for us to do something.
I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to be critical. I promise you. But I cannot understand people who will go to a concert and believe that the singers deserve applause, shouts, whistles. Go to a ball game and believe the players deserve applause, jumping, dancing, screaming, but come to church and say, God is really great, so let's just be reverent and quiet. I don't understand that. I'm sorry. That makes zero sense to me. If the way you show honor is through noise, why do we have to be quiet when we come to the house of God? I'm going to tell you, God deserves more honor than any singer ever could. He deserves more honor than any ball player ever could. Don't tell me you're honoring God by sitting there quietly. No! Oh, Jesus, help me today. You ever read a description of heaven? Have you ever read a description of heaven? There's only one time that I read there's any silence and that's after such judgment falls on this earth that nobody knows what to say. But I'm going to tell you the rest of the time there's a noise. A noise like many waters. There is a roar that's coming up. That's what God wants going on in heaven. And he said we ought to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If heaven's going to be a noisy place, church ought to be a noisy place. In fact, the Bible doesn't say make a joyful silence unto God. It said make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Oh, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. I'm going to tell you, church, when we walk through these doors, we ought to make up our mind. We're serving a great big God, and he deserves great big praise. He deserves something, amen, beyond what I feel like giving. I shouldn't limit my praise based on how I'm feeling today or how my day is going. You want to talk about a bad day? Job had a bad day. And I don't think there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's ever had a bad day as bad as Job's. I know some of you have lost things and you've lost loved ones. But I want you to think for a minute. To go from being one of the richest men anywhere to the absolute poorest and losing every one of your children all in the same day. Everything you own and all your kids. All that happened on one day. 
And it happened in rapid succession. Because the Bible says that as one man was yet speaking, he didn't even finish giving his bad news before the next one showed up with more bad news. Can you imagine? And yet, how did Job respond to that? The Bible says that he arose, he rent his garments, he shaved his head, he fell on his face. And that's where most of us would put the period and stop. But that's not where Job stopped. The Bible said he arose, he rent his garments, he shaved his head, he fell on his face, and worshipped. And he said, I came into this world naked. Looks like I'm going out naked. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Now tell me how your bad day is keeping you from praising God. Explain to me again how your situation merits you not giving God some praise. I'm sorry, but I'm not buying it. If Job can do what he did without the Holy Ghost. Hello? Are you going to tell me we can't push our way past our emotions and our feelings and our bad days and our bad situations? Are you going to tell me that with the power of God living inside of us, we can't shove all of that aside and still give God the kind of praise that he deserves? I don't believe that. I'm telling you, he's worthy of our praise no matter what my day looks like. He's worthy of our praise no matter what my problem is. He's worthy of my praise no matter how I feel in my body. He's still worthy of my praise. He deserves to be worshipped. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm telling you, it ought to, we, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves if we ever come in and have a dead service. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. That doesn't mean we've got to run and jump every service. But I'm going to tell you, there ought to be something moving. When we come into the house of God, something ought to be here. God forbid that our guests would walk through these doors and not feel the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah. In fact, this is the thing we were talking about in our leadership meeting yesterday that put every one of us on our faces. We said, God, we don't want anybody to be able to walk through those doors and not feel you. We can have all the plans in the world. We can make all the schedules. We can have all the programs. But God, if you don't show up, we're just wasting our time. I'm telling you, I don't care about anything else if we can't have a move of God. I don't care about any other plan or program if we can't have the touch of God in our church. We don't have to compromise to get it. We don't have to change who we are and what we believe 
In fact, I'm going to tell you, that's a surefire way to lose it. I've said it before, I'll say it again, but that's the reason why they're having to paint the place black and make it look like a nightclub and, and get all this other garbage going on because the Spirit of God's no longer moving in their midst. God, don't ever let that happen at the Truth Church. Don't ever let that happen around here. I don't ever want us to get to a place that we think changing and modifying and trying to be more like the world is going to bring more of God to us. It's not going to work that way. The Bible says if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's New Testament. When they start loving the world and wanting to be more like the world, they're not going to have more of the power of God. They're going to have less. I'm going to tell you, there's one answer. There's one thing that must be. We've got to have prayer. We've got to have praise. It's got to go on in this house. It's got to happen in this church. Well, hallelujah. It's got to take place right here at the Truth Church. Saints of God, let us never set our sights on anything else besides the power of God and the presence of God. We need that more than we need anything. All right, my time, my time. Away. And I didn't even finish this. I wanted to talk about continuing in worship. They continued in fellowship. They continued in worship. They continued in worship. And I'm going to tell you that the meeting place, the meeting place for our worship is important. It's important. Now, again, I, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. I, I know there are situations that keep people out of the house of God. Situations beyond their control. I know that. I don't want to have to, to explain that every time I get on this. I think you know where I'm coming from. But the fact of the matter is you can't replace the house of God. You can't. You can't. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. We're going to try to get one more scripture in and then... Uh, We'll, 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 we'll try to bring this to a close. I'm, I'm out of time this morning. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Not, you know, get, get your Bible. Go over to Hebrews chapter 10. Because uh, I'm going to have you read another verse later. Hebrews chapter 10. And, 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 and so here is this very, very clear command. Don't forsake. The assembling of yourselves together. Together. Together's not you're at your home and I'm at my home. That's not together. Now again, I know sometimes that's got to happen. Being sick, missing, mandatory work can't be in church those things happen 
And in those cases, you didn't forsake the assembling. You were called away. But when you get to a place that you just stay home, then you have forsaken your obligation. And again, notice it is the assembling of ourselves. How? Together. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Why do you think he threw that word in there? Because every joint supplying, every part providing. We've got to come together. There's got to be the central meeting place for the people of God. I'm going to tell you, God, as I've said over and over, God, he said in Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not. His, his nature, his characteristic, basic characteristics, those things never change about him. And so you can learn so much about him by studying the Old Testament. And you see that God told these Israelites out here in the wilderness. He, he gave Moses the instructions to build a tabernacle, a place where his presence could dwell. But then he instructed the Israelites, I want you to put your tents around that tabernacle. Every tribe has a spot around the tabernacle. He wanted them to be as close to his house as they could get. And I'm going to tell you, his house was in the center of their lives. He wanted them to be able to get up in the morning or while they're working during the day or before they went to bed at night to look out through that tent flap and see the glory cloud. He never wanted them to get away from the significance of his house and his presence that dwelt there. And I'm telling you, we, we've got these modern day philosophers that fill the pulpit, that try to tell everybody, well, we're the body of Christ. We're, we're God's house today. And God doesn't dwell in temples made with man's hands. And I understand but I'm telling you, the scripture is just as clear that God still honors a place of meeting and assembling together. And if we are truly a body, how can we just be scattered all the time? We're going to have to come together. Now again, if you, if you don't come to God's house... That part which your brothers and sisters are supposed to supply to you, you can't get. They're here supplying it, but you're not getting it. And the Bible says that God gave us the ministry. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints. So you can't receive what you need to receive from the ministry if you don't come. He didn't just say their sermon is for the perfecting of the saints. Their office is for the perfecting of the saints. So, so listening to a sermon online is not the same thing as letting them minister to you. 
on a one-on-one basis. We're talking about the early church and the way they did it there. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Everybody understands that's the command, right? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another, there again we see your responsibility we have to one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Anybody believe we're closer to the Lord's coming now than we've ever been? If you don't believe that, you really need to read your Bible. But, but this is where I had stopped in my notes was verse 25, but read verse 26. For if we sin wait, willfully. Wait, 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 if, if what? If we sin. If we sin? Now, wait a minute. What did he just tell them to do? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And then he says, for if we sin willfully. You understand what that willful sin is that he's talking about? Forsaking the house of God. If we sin willfully. That's context. If we sin willfully. After that we've received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Now that, he's not saying you can't be forgiven. He's saying you got to get this out. He's, this is written to the Hebrews or the Jews. Their old mindset was, all right, I go and sin, I break the commandments. But there's coming a day of atonement. I'll come in, I'll offer my offerings, I'll make my sacrifices, and God will take care of my sin. Whatever I did, you know, we, we come back and we make sacrifice for that sin, and, and then God will overlook it. That was the Jewish mindset. And the writer saying, no more. There was one sacrifice in Jesus Christ. We don't go back and offer sacrifices again. So you don't just keep sinning expecting to keep offering sacrifice. You stop sinning. There's not going to be another sacrifice. So deal with it. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Church, we need one another and we need the church. We need the church. Let's stand. I've gone over time this morning. Let's lift our hands to the Lord, everybody, right now, can we? Are open this morning. As long as there is I think it'd be good for all of us to come and speak.